0: What I want to do is I want to show you something this morning. But before I show it to you so you don't laugh out loud like some may laugh as I show this to them. I want to begin by saying I'm not an artist. You got that right? I'm not an artist. Cody, Pastor Cody is not an artist. When it comes to this kind of stuff, I may be an artist as crafting a sermon, putting a sermon together. Some may say that's a type of art because it's a lot of work to craft a sermon, put that together. But before I show you this piece of uh, artwork, just know I'm not an artist. There was a time, yes, I tried to play with some watercolors, not like little kid watercolors. I had some nice brushes, and I had the the nice watercolor paper, and it would bleed together. I thought it was kind of cool for a while, and then I just realized, this is not me. I'm not going to do that. And then I tried calligraphy, especially with Hebrew, studying Hebrew and writing Hebrew, calligraphy in Hebrew, just beautiful stuff. I tried that, that, that didn't work either. So just so you know, I'm not an artist, okay? You got that? So don't laugh at this picture as I show it to you. It's very simple. In fact, I tried watercolors, and then I just got to the point where I got a black magic marker and just went, ur, ur, and just finished it up. But I have this at home near my desk. It's kind of like my office. And I haven't hung it up on the wall yet because all the other pictures I have and stuff are truly artwork. In fact, I have a picture of the signing of the Declaration that was printed in 1876. It's a beautiful piece. This isn't that beautiful. But why do I have this in my office? It's not because of the artwork. (laughs) It's very simple. It's just a cross. But I have this in my office because of what I have written on it. And this is what it says. Why is it so easy for me to forget what it took for me to live why is it so easy for me to forget what it took for me to live four weeks we've been looking at the great gospel message found in the cross but we forget Easter has come and gone Good Friday has come and gone And now we're thinking school's coming out, all summer's coming, my lawn, all vacation, fishing, all these things are in my brain. Easter's come and gone. Why is it so easy for us to forget what it took for us to live? Remember on Easter I said, every day we should awake and think of Good Friday and Easter. Amen? Amen? Every day should be Easter. We should awake and go, Oh, praise God. He's risen. He's what? He's risen indeed. He's alive. But we forget. Life gets so busy. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you and we thank you for the cross. Some of the songs we just sung were just... Echoing what we believe in our minds and our hearts, but sometimes we just don't live that out. We we get so busy with the things of life. And God, we ask this morning, Holy Spirit, come in a mighty, powerful way, and awaken us again to the cross. Lord, may our minds be etched with, may our memories be just riveted with the cross. May our our breaths be tainted with the beauty, the terrible wonder of the cross. May it stain our lives in such a way that whatever we do, wherever we go, we would know, people would know about the cross. So God, we ask this morning again, as we dig into the word, that you would open our hearts, our minds, our ears so we can see again and gaze upon the beauty of the cross. Amen. If you would take your Bibles and open up to the middle of the Bible. Open up to the middle of the Bible and as you do, I have been... We've been going through a series called This We Believe. This is what we believe as a church. I'm I'm a new pastor here, so I thought it would be very important to kind of ground ourselves and go, hey, this is what we believe. We talked about the the importance of God's word and the beauty, and this, this is it. This is the essential thing that we hold on to. And it's not just about the word, it's about knowing the God of this word. And then we've been talking about the beauty of the cross for four weeks. We've been talking about it. And, and. I'm just thinking we should just forever talk about the cross, and that's what it's all about. All the Old Testament points to the cross, it's, it's the central key thing in the history of time, the cross, the message of the cross. And these have been all upward things, we've been thinking about upward things, and for the next two weeks, we're going to talk about worship. What is worship? And as we finish that up, then we're going to talk about inward stuff. What does it mean to be the church, the body of Christ? And then we're going to talk about outward things. So some of you, as I said, turn to the middle of the Bible. Some of you have even went like this. You're kind of like, okay, here we go. Now, if you have a study Bible, that's really going to throw you off because, you know, you've got a lot of notes at the end. And so some of you, you've turned to the middle of the Bible. Sometimes, some, some of you are in Psalm, Psalm 118. Maybe you went chapter by chapter. Okay, that's the middle of the Bible. That is a middle of the Bible. What would be another middle of the Bible? Did anybody go to Matthew chapter 1? Anybody? That, that, that could be a middle of the Bible, right? Correct. You've got the Old Testament and the New Testament, right? Okay. That could be a middle of the Bible. Did anybody turn to Acts chapter 1? How could that be a middle of the Bible? Well, in many ways, that could be a middle of the Bible, correct? you got the Old Testament God saying, Hey, I'm your God. You'll be my people. He's faithful. They were not. So he can't change. God cannot change, so he changes them. You hear that in the prophets. He changes them. He says, I'm going to put a new heart in you. I'm going to have a new covenant. And Christ in the Gospels is the new covenant. He fulfills the law. It's done. It's beautiful. And then Acts. Acts, right? Okay, that could be a middle of the Bible. Was there anybody daring and turn to the book of Revelation? That's the middle of the Bible. Okay, maybe when uh, my father-in-law comes, we can hear and go, okay, that could be a middle of the Bible. There are many middle of the Bibles. I'm not trying to toy with you here. There are many. You could, But if you could turn to my favorite book. <laughs> Romans, thank you. Romans is the book. No, I'm not going to say turn to the greatest chapter, the greatest, part. okay, we've done that before, but Romans chapter 12. If you could turn to Romans chapter 12, and as I said last week, I'm excited about today. Today, we are going to dig in just to, just half of a verse, and the next Sunday we're going to dig into the rest of the verse, and even last night around midnight, I'm like, okay, this should be a whole month just on this verse. This verse is great. Romans chapter twelve. Why would I say this is the middle of the Bible? It doesn't look like the middle. But that first word, I'm gonna read the verse, but that first word in many ways shows us it's the middle of the Bible. Let me read Romans chapter twelve, verse one. It says this. Therefore I Urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. We're going to talk about worship and what is worship. Why would I say this is the middle of the Bible? Well, it's because of that first word. When I was in seminary, we studied all the languages of the original Bible and just really got into it. And I remember one of my professors saying, whenever you see the word, therefore, ask, what is it there for? Okay? When you see the word, therefore, ask, well, what is it there for? What's it there for? This is what Paul is doing in the book of Romans. Romans. Chapter 1 through 11, he's been writing out, petting out this beautiful letter, describing this is what life is all about. Guess what? Without Christ, there is death. Chapter 1, remember this? Chapter 1, 18 through 320, it's all about the wrath of God is being poured out because we've sinned, we failed against his holy standard. We cannot do it. There is creation, creation's there, but still we failed. There's our conscience, and even the law was there, but the law did nothing except to say you cannot do it. And then 321, but now a righteousness from God, apart from the law, to which the law and prophets testify, has been made known. And what is it? This righteousness of God is in Jesus Christ. And then Romans begins to spell it out. Chapter 4 is saying, listen, it's not about your effort doing it. You can work for it, but that's not it. It's not by works. It's not by your heritage. It's not by circumstances. It's not by all this stuff. It's by grace. Amen? It's by faith. Then chapter 5 is so great. Some of the greatest verses are in chapter 5 about cross. He took our place. God's love. Chapter 6. We'll look at chapter 6 in a moment. Seven, and then eight. Listen, Romans 1 through 11, Paul has been writing out all this truth. This is truth. This is the doctrine. This is what it's all about. Look at Romans 12 again. Therefore, after all they wrote about God's great love, His great mercy, this great truth seen in the cross, therefore, now what? Let me just say this. Many churches today are all about doctrine. They're all about, this is what you must believe, and we all come out like cookie cutters. Yes, we're all thinking the same thing. And they stop as that. I love how Paul writes, never does he just spell out doctrine and put a period and leave it there. It always leads to something. Okay? That's what we've been talking about the last couple weeks. The gospel message must move from doctrine to delight and devotion, okay? And that's what Paul is doing here. Therefore, I wrote this down, Romans 1-11 through is the unfolding of God's mercy, both in the giving of His Son to die for us and bestowing on us the salvation that He obtains. Because of this firm foundation, therefore, How are we to respond to his mercy? You have to do something. Please listen. If you just say, oh, I believe in the cross and that's it, and tuck it away, oh, I think you're missing out. And we'll get into this. Your faith is dead. It has to be lived out. Therefore, look at this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy. it's talking about the cross. All that I've been spelling out, therefore, I urge you, I plead with you, I implore you, I I beg you. Paul does this often after he says doctrine. I urge you, I plead with you. Now this isn't a command, or it's not a request, it's somewhere in between, where he's saying, please, listen. And that's why I said last week, this Sunday I finally get to preach it. I urge you. I plead with you. Take a look here. Therefore, I urge you, brothers. Now I remember in seminary a lot of people got hung up on that going, <laughs> well it's brothers. Does that mean it's brothers and sisters? What about those translations that have brothers and sisters? Really in the Greek it's just brothers and they would, we you know, get in these arguments and debates and I would be like, you're missing the point. This, this word brothers shouldn't hunt, hang you up if you're a woman saying, well, it's not including me. This should make all of us gaze upon the beauty of the cross again when you see that word brothers. Because Paul's isn't saying, therefore I urge you Jews, therefore I urge you Gentiles. Brothers, we're in the family of God. When it says brothers, he's including all of us. Jew, Gentile, slave, free. We're in the family of God. That alone should cause you to worship him all week long. Just seeing that word, brothers. We're in the family of God. Look at this. Therefore, I urge you, I plead with you, brothers, people of the family of God, you once were lost, you once were in darkness, but now you're in the light. Once you had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. First Peter chapter 2. Therefore I urge you, brothers, here it is, in view of God's mercy. It's amazing this word mercy is what Paul uses to summarize 1 through 11. The cross is all about the mercy, the grace of God. Amen? In view of God's mercy. This is the gospel message. God's mercy to us. This word sums up God's grace, His love and compassion seen in the cross. And there is a, there is a theological basis to how we are to act. Very important. Some churches are just all about doctrine and they leave it at that. And the other side, some churches are all about living it out, and they don't care about doctrine. They kind of make fun of it. Oh, we don't need doctrine. We don't. What? It's because of this true great mercy doctrine, that's how we are to live. If you just live a nice, pretty life without this stuff, that's just religion. That will get you nowhere. You hold both together if I could just boil down, paraphrase this first part, listen to this, therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, if I could boil it down, it would be this, because of the cross, dot, dot, dot. Because of the cross, now what? What are we supposed to do? What should be the response to this great grace seen in the cross. How are we to live a gospel-centered life? How are we to live this out? As I mentioned last week, how are we to preach the gospel to ourselves daily? How are we to do it? Well, Paul says this. It's interesting if you read through Romans, just read through it over and over again. Read through Romans. Occupy yourself with it daily. Romans is the book. It's interesting, in Romans 1 through 11, most of the verbs are indicative. They're indicating truth. Okay? And then from 12 to 16, the verbs change. They're imperative. What's imperative? A command. I do this to my children at times. I'll indicate truth and say, hey, listen. Fishing is one of the greatest sports you can have in your life. Okay, I'll use a bunch of verbs to indicate that kind of truth. Okay, there's other sports like, I think it's called golf. Well, we won't go there. Okay, yeah. Fishing. Golfing, you come back with a little pencil and go, I went golfing, it's a cute little pencil. I go fishing, I have a bunch of food, let's eat, okay? You go ahead, eat your pencil, I'll eat some fish and have a go. Okay. Imperative verbs are this. Do not take that little fork and put it in the light socket. Don't do it. it's imperative. OK? It's a command. Paul is, he does it all the time. Here's truth. Here's, here's all these verbs pointing to truth, and then he switches, and it's imperative. It's imperative. For instance, take a look at this one. Colossians chapter one. Colossians chapter 1, here's a great example of Paul and the the use of imperatives. Colossians 1, and I have the wrong verse up there, (laughs) that's okay. We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for the saints. The faith and love that springs from the hope that is stored in you in heaven and you've already heard about this word of truth, the gospel. And has come over you all over the world. And he, he says all these imperatives and indicatives. He leads to that. It's very important to note this. Paul would say this. He would say, I have been indicating all this truth. Now it is important. It's imperative to do what? Let's go back to Romans 12. Now what? Oh, here it is, church. This is where we live it out. Therefore I urge you brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer to offer your bodies as sacrifices. To offer. This is the key verb. We are to offer. We are to make a decisive decision. And I love the sacrificial image that Paul uses in this. See, Christ has fulfilled the Old Testament. He has fulfilled the sacrificial system. And because of him, there are so many implications of that. Listen to this. In the Old Testament, they needed a temple to worship, to meet with God. In fact, of a lot of Genesis and Exodus is all pointing to the end of Exodus, the last chapter. They're all building up to this temple temple, because in the temple, that's where God would dwell. And in their minds, they're just like, we get to have a temple? God's going to dwell around us? Amazing. So in the Old Testament, there was a temple. When Christ came, the cross, what happened in the temple when he died? The veil was torn. The temple, he fulfilled it. The glory that God would come in the temple came, John chapter 1. The glory dwelt among us. Jesus was that. And now, look at this. On this side of the New Testament, what's the temple? We are the temple. Wow. Or this. In the Old Testament, they needed a priest. A priest would come, bring the sacrifice as atonement, saying, Here's the sacrifice because the people have sinned. Take this, Lord. This may appease your wrath in the mercy seat right there, okay? Then Christ came. What was he? He was the great high priest. He was the great high priest once for all, the final sacrifice. And on this side of the New Testament, we are what? We are the priests. We are priests. Amazing. And the last one. In the Old Testament, they had sacrifices. These are the things that God, we are sore here. Take this sacrifice. And then Jesus was that sacrifice. And now Paul uses this imagery saying, we are to offer ourselves as a sacrifice. We no longer need a temple. We no longer need a priest. We no longer need the sacrifices. Why? Because in Christ, his priesthood, his dwelling, his temple, his sacrifice has fulfilled it. And now Paul says, we are to offer ourselves. Christians no longer need these sacrifices to worship. Christ has done it. Instead, we are to offer ourselves as a part of our worship. We are to give, offer, present what? What's the next word? Our Bodies. Our bodies? That's that's a tough word. Our bodies? You know, in Paul's time, the thought of the body was bad. A lot of the Greek philosophy back that time was the flesh, the body, it's just bad. The spiritual is good. So this would jar a lot of people when they first read this. Offer your bodies? What? Their bodies are bad. In fact, the phrase back then was, my body is a tomb. Back in this day, it was, my body's a tomb. The body's just a tomb. Contrasted with today, it's just the opposite. People love bodies today. Ten years ago, a popular song on the radio was, your body is a wonderland. Oh, our world loves to delight in the body, in the flesh. It's amazing. A couple songs that are popular today talk about that. Oh, we're born this way, Lady Gaga. (laughs) Uh, She has a song. Hey, my body is born this way. Let's delight in it. Or another one. Hey, whatever style of sexuality you want to follow, whatever thing you want to believe... Hey, don't look at all that stuff. You're you're born this way. Raise a glass. Raise a glass to the way you're made. This reflects our own independence. Who we think we are to be. Act any way you think is right. I was born this way and have a right to be myself and rejoice in my own truth. I'm free to be any way I want. Honestly, that slips into some Christian songs. There's a popular song that was nominated for the best Christian song saying, I'm free to be me. What? You'll see later as we look through this passage, we're not free to be ourselves. We're free. We are enslaved to be servants of the king. Offer your bodies. When's the last time you were at church and they said, hey, we're having a body offering. This seems foreign to us even today in the church. All right, how many of you want to dedicate your bodies for the work of God? When's the last time you had something like that? Here's it. We hear a custom to this. Give your heart to the Lord. Who wants to offer their heart to the Lord? We spiritualize, we look at that aspect, and that's important, but rarely do we hear, who wants to give their body to the Lord right now? Some of you are like, I'm not going to, what does that mean? But Paul is saying, offer your body your flesh all that you are we are to offer ourselves to the Lord dedicate our body as Christians in the world today we often hear this yeah offer your heart to the Lord as true as this may be listen to this Christianity is not just an expression of spiritual devotion it is that, but it's your body. We are to give our bodies, our total selves, to belong to God. So here it is, church. Offer your body to God. Offer your total being to God. Today's the day we offer our bodies to God. Pure and simple. This is it. Here's a quote from John Stott. He says, no worship is pleasing to God which is purely inward abstract and mystical it must express itself in concrete acts of service performed by our bodies we must live it out Romans chapter 6 turn a couple pages back chapter 6 oh, I love chapter 6 Look at verse 13. Romans chapter 6, 13. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God. Offer yourselves to God, and here's the gospel, as those who have been brought from death to life. And offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. We are to offer ourselves as that. We are to offer ourselves, our bodies, to him. We are to make a decisive decision about our bodies, our total being, what we think, what we do, what we act ethically, morally, all these things we are to offer our bodies. It's the dedication of our whole being to long-life enslavement to him. Because here's the thing. You are going to be a slave to someone either to yourself and the world or to God. Read Romans 6 again and again. You'll see that. Either be a slave to yourself and the world or to Him. And Paul's saying, because of the cross, give yourself, offer your body to Him. Be enslaved to Him. Your total being dedicated to Him. That's what he's saying in this verse. Everything. Everything. Let's take a look at this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as, and here's a word, sacrifices. We are to be sacrifices. Sacrifices to the Lord. And here's the phrase, if you're writing something down, if you want to memorize this, get this in you. God's mercy motivates our sacrifice. We hear the word, oh, sacrifice, sacrifice. The government wants us to sacrifice. That's that thing called taxes, right? Ooh, we hear that, we hear taxes, we just go, oh, I don't want to sacrifice. It's interesting, if you look at the history of America, in the 30s and 40s, What did they collect all the time? They they would sacrifice steel, rubber, nylons, all that for a great cause, World War II. Everyone said, absolutely, we need to win. There's horrible things happening. Sacrifice was easy. Why? Because of the motivation behind it. All the horrible things was happening. In the church, when we say sacrifice, you just go, I don't want to sacrifice. Well, in view of the cross, Of course, it's his sacrifice that motivates our service and sacrifice. Remember that. So here it comes. Therefore, I urge you, I plead with you, brothers and sisters, to offer your bodies as sacrifices. And he qualifies this with three words. Living, holy, and pleasing. This is your spiritual act of worship. I mentioned a couple weeks ago there's three words I want to study the rest of my life. Holy, glory, and what? Worship. In many ways, this is one of the greatest verses on worship. And we'll get into why this is. I'll, all I want to do now is look at just a few of these words, just two of them, and the rest we'll look at later. What kind of sacrifice? Number 1, a living sacrifice rather than a dead one okay I'm sure in some way in some miraculous way the Lord will use my death to bring glory to him but I'm alive right now I awoke this morning how many of you awoke this morning some of you are thinking well I didn't get my coffee so I'm not fully awake okay we are to be a living sacrifice we are to have this sacrifice be alive rather than a dead one as his priestly people We are the ones who offer not something that's, here's what in the Old Testament they would do, is they'd bring something that's alive, and it would be dead as a sacrifice. Now on this side of the New Testament, we who were dead are now alive, and we offer that living sacrifice to him. Does that make sense? What a great concept. This living sacrifice. This sacrifice lives each day and continues to live for him. Write this down. We are alive in Him, so live for Him. We are alive in Christ, Romans 6. Now live for Him. That's what it's about. Living for Him. This is very important. We are not freed so that we can be free to be me. We are freed to live for Him. Live for Him. I am not my own. I belong to Christ. 1 Corinthians Chapter 6, 19 20 says this You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. You once were dead, now you're alive. Now, live your bodies for Him. You don't belong to yourself anymore. Amen. Because if I did, I would be messed up. I'd die in a couple of days. As foolish as I am. We are to be a living sacrifice. What is a living sacrifice? Here it is. We have died, now get on the task of living for Him. Let me say that again. You've died to sin, now get on the task of living for Him. Our lives have been saved by the gospel, and now our lives are to proclaim the gospel and live for Him. Let me give you an example. When I was 21 years old, I was asked, I was living in Wisconsin, I was asked to go to Minnesota to speak at this one here. 100-year celebration of a church denomination I didn't even belong to. And I was like, they got the wrong name, they got the wrong guy, I'm this young kid, but I'm going anyways. I'm like, they don't even know who I am. They're over in Minnesota, 100-year celebration of this church, they got the wrong guy, well, I'm going anyways. I went a couple of days early to visit some of my friends in Minnesota, and we went to this big Christian festival. A kind I don't know if you have those around here, where they have the big Christian bands coming for three days, you just come, and they play songs, and you have the big tents and all this stuff, and just... I went there, saw my friends, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to this place, I'm speaking. I'm only 21 years old, but I'm preaching at this place, oh, this is going to be great. Oh, I'm so blessed. And my friends are like, wow, you're great, Cody. Oh, yes, I am. We went that night, I I love music, I like it loud. In fact, my kids sometimes at house will say, turn down the stereo, it's too loud. If it's too loud, you're too old. I tell them, and they just go, oh, please. So we go to this concert, and it's just blaring music. The first band gets up there. It's a Christian concert. And they're jamming, and we're all like, yeah! And every time they say the word Jesus, we all go, oh, you know. It's a Christian concert. We don't have lighters and stuff like they do at secular bands. We're like, oh! And the band gets up there, and they are a popular band. In fact, sometimes we sing some of their songs today in church. They, they write popular worship songs. And they're jamming and we're like, oh. Then at the end, the lead singer gets up and gives us like a little message. We're all like, oh. And then he says this at the end. He says, listen, if you want to meet us at the end of all these concerts that are going on tonight, meet us by the big tent. and You know, you can meet us. I'm like, we get to meet them? Wow. I mean, this is great. Just I have their albums and their CDs and stuff, and we get to, well, let's go. after Wow, great. And then the next band gets up, and they say the same thing. Oh, yeah. And then another band gets up there, and my friend goes, is that the janitor? Because it's a guy. He's got kind of long hair, and it's kind of gray, and he's kind of up there. And I'm like, Wait a second. This is Resband. Band. This is a band from the 60s. And this, these are like the Jesus people from Chicago. Anybody even know who Resband Band is? The Christian? Okay, one person. All right, two. Okay, yeah. They're, they're from the late Christian era. You know, and just, so they get up there, and they're jamming. My friends are making fun of them like, Does he need oxygen? He's so old. You know, They're playing their 60s style. And these guys, I'm like, These guys are great. Resband. Band. And they say the word Jesus, and we all go, Oh, you know, we're all like, Oh. And at the end of the thing, the lead singer, Glenn Kaiser, says, hey, at the end of all the bands tonight, and it's just like everyone else, I'm like, oh, here we go. If you want someone to pray with, we'll be at our booth. And I'm like, and everybody was like, yeah, yeah oh, okay. You know, one person clapped, and oh, okay, it wasn't like the other ones. Because everyone else said, hey, if you want to meet us, be at the, the tent, we'll be there. And I was like, yeah. And he goes, hey, if you want someone to pray with, we'll be at our booth, yeah. yeah oh, and we're like, oh, okay. Then the bands kept going. The last band, last song, Thousands of people get up, and like a horde of elephants oh, to that big tent. And we're jamming ourselves in this huge tent, and all the bands are at their different booths. And we're like, "Wow!" And I saw that first band. And they were, they were popular, still popular. I'm just like, there they are. I can see them. And they have their pictures, their glossy pictures, and they're signing them, and people gather around. I'm like, wow, let's go meet them. And then I was like, where's Res Band? I'm looking around. I'm like, where's Glenn Kaiser?" Oh, wow. And I remember looking over here at this band, looking around and I turned and there in the corner was Rezban and I looked and I saw Glenn Kaiser on his knees weeping with a woman and everything got quiet for me and I turned back and I saw all these bands all these bands surrounded by people and I looked and said well there's a band Then I turned and I said, but there's Jesus. Please listen, church. I made a decision that day that I would live so others see Christ in me and not me. Because of the cross, you are not your own. You've been paid with a beautiful price, the mercies of God. Therefore, I urge you, I plead with you, be a sacrifice, a living sacrifice. Don't live so others see you. Live so others see him in you. For years, I would travel and preach. And that imprint of seeing Jesus or a band stuck with me. Why is it so easy today in the Christian culture to make your name big? There's so many people who are like, oh, Cody, oh, you could be, what kind of a church? Oh, you're going to go to this big church? It's so easy to make your name big, and it's so hard to make, make the name of Jesus big. We are to be a living sacrifice. We are to live so others see Him. Please remember that. Live so others see Him, not you. When I was a kid in high school, I had this patch on the back of my jean jacket. I like jeans. It said this, He died for me, I'll live for him. He died for me, I will live for him. Live so others see Jesus in you. If you live so people are all about you and stuff, that's not it. We are to be a living sacrifice. We are to live so others see him in us. It is not by chance that you are alive today. And here's where we live this out. Here's how I understand God's sovereignty. God is sovereign in control of all things. Dust particles in the air. He's sovereign. Listen to this. And in his sovereign grace, he placed you here in this state, in this county for his reason, not your purpose. If it was up to me with a name like like Cody, I'd want to be a cowboy. I would have been born in the 1800s with a gun and a horse somewhere out west. Okay, you know what I mean? That, if it would have been up to me, a cowboy with, you know, with a gun and a horse, it would be great. But listen, in God's sovereign grace, He's placed you here at this time for His purpose so that you would live a life worthy of the calling you have received. You are to live for Him. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 says this. Paul is writing, As a prisoner of the Lord... I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. We are to live so others see him. God is sovereign. Listen to this. You think you have the job that you have just because you chose it, or you're skilled and you have that? No. God sovereignly placed you in that workplace to be a witness so others would see him through your life. Amen? It is not by chance you work at that certain place. It is not by chance you have that neighborhood that you live in. God has placed you there in His sovereign grace so you would live for Him so others would see Him. This is what this is about. Because of the cross, we are to be a living sacrifice. If you're in the military, it is not by chance you might be shipped off for a couple months all alone with a bunch of people stuck on a boat. God has placed you there in his sovereign grace, not by chance, not by your will, so that you can be a living sacrifice. Live for others. The problem is we go to work, we live in our neighborhoods so we can live about ourselves. Hey, I'm, I'm a cool guy, look at me. When's the last time you lived in such a way that others saw Jesus and not you? A living sacrifice is one that says, here I am, I am yours. You do a work, you do something for the kingdom of God, and when you leave, people just go, the Lord was here. Who was, what was that guy's name? What was her name? I don't know. Let's keep worshiping. That's what this is about. We are to be a living sacrifice for the kingdom of God. Again, that Ephesians verse 4, chapter 4, verse 1. As a prisoner of the Lord, I urge you, live a life worthy of the calling you have received. We are to live for him. I keep saying this is my favorite chapter, my favorite book, but I do have a life verse. It's it's my number one verse I have for my life. It's out of Philippians. Philippians 1, 21. In fact, this past week, my daughters helped write out little verses on a card for Pat, who's in the hospital. She's in the hospital. She's very weak, tired, and she said... A couple days ago, she was just like, I just can't. I'm so weary, so tired. I just wanted to give up. I went home. I said, girls, we need to write her some verses. And the verse I wrote, for me to live is Christ. She has it by her bed somewhere. For me, you know, she may not have many days. She may have many more days than I have. I don't know but God in his sovereign grace has allowed Pat to live another day not so she can live for herself as weak and weary as she is so she can live for Christ for me to live is Christ how many of you got that in you? we live so others see him to live is Christ but most of us live for ourselves and we don't get that we live for Christ for me to live is Christ to die is gain Living for Him is worship. That's what this verse is about. Because of the cross, we're to be living, holy, pleasing, sacrifice. This is your spiritual act of worship. Listen, some of you think worship is this. When we get the music, we're playing songs, that's worship time, and now it's preaching time, now let's go home and eat time. No, this is an aspect of worship with song, but Paul's saying living for Him is worship. Every day you live for Him. When you wake up, you live for Him. Tomorrow, when you go to work, live for him. That is worship. We are to be a living sacrifice. Why should we live for him? Remember this. The cross is the greatest incentive to live for him and to make him your lord and master. My father-in-law wrote this. The total commitment of ourselves to God is based upon the totality of his mercy. The total giving of ourselves to him is based on the totality of his giving himself to us. How could you not live for him? Because I'm selfish. I want to live for me. I want to be the cool guy. I want to be the guy that everyone at church says, hey, how you doing? Live so others see him and not you. A living sacrifice. And what's the next one? a holy sacrifice. We could spend hours, at least I could, talking about this concept, holiness. What does holiness mean? It means being set apart to consecrate, to sanctify, purity. These are all the words. Look at this, and honestly, this is going to be the hardest word we would look at in this section. Why? Because we are so easily entertained with sin. And some of you are going, Yep. We are so weak when it comes to sin. Living, oh, it's easy to live for him. I'll live so people see Jesus. Holy sacrifice? Ugh. What is holiness? Just remember this little phrase. Set apart from the profane. What is holiness? Set apart from the profane. What does it mean to be sanctified? Set apart from that which is wrong. But why are we so, get right up to the edge of wrong and go, oh, it's kind of cool. Our attitudes just get so, whoa. I almost want to close, well, the doors are closed. We'll have people cater food into us and let's deal with this issue of holiness. Let's deal with this issue of sin in our lives. Why do we as church people go, oh, there's sin in my life, but I'm just going to, we just, oh, okay, I'm working on it. Why don't we just stand up and say, I declare war on this sin. I'm done. Cut it off. It's done. Because of the cross. Why why do we so easily play with sin? Set apart from the profane and dedicate it to the service of the Lord. You belong to God. We are to be holy. Listen to this line. When we are changed by the gospel, this change must show in your conduct. Let me say that again. When you are changed, truly changed by the gospel, this change must show in your conduct. And some of you struggle with sin. You're like, I want to get rid of this. I I can't cut cold turkey. It's hard. It's just, I just, I can't. Listen. Take your fingers, take your teeth, sink deep into the cross, cling to the cross, and I believe it should be able to cut cold turkey. When you gaze upon the beauty of the cross, you say complete surrender, total surrender to you, I want to live for you. It's not your effort that can do it. No wonder you can't quit, because you keep trying. The Holy Spirit's empowerment is unbelievable in the area of holiness. We are to live holy lives. I won't labor here much on this word because we'll have years to deal with this stuff. We have been set apart for the sole use of God's work, to be holy. Yet we're on the fringe of sin. We're on the edge of sin. We want to play with it. How many of you got John 3.16 down, memorized? Raise your hand if you know what John 3.16 is. All the kids out there would probably be like, yeah, I do. John 3.16 is the Bible once. Eight times is this verse, 1 Peter chapter 1, 15 and 16. Eight times is this. you got John 3, 16 down, but do you have this verse? Be holy, for I am holy. Leviticus is all about living a holy life. Be holy, for I am holy. Do you have that one down? Your hands are in your pockets. We are to be holy. We are to live holy lives. But we don't. We don't understand Romans chapter 6. We don't live it out. We're not set apart from the profane. Listen, God has called us to be holy people. Our conduct and we are to carry ourselves in a behavior that reflects God's holiness. And some of you let sin so easily entangle you. Let me end with this. How do we live holy lives? Well, number one, your holy living does not qualify you for salvation. We talked about that for weeks. But because we're saved by God's grace, he's called us to live holy. How do we do that? One thing I enjoyed about the job I had in Wisconsin at a camp was this. I love campfires. How many of you like campfires? I like fires, I guess, <laughs> plain and simple, okay? Especially campfires. I love the smell of smoke campfire. How many of you just like that that smell of just the smoke. Cam- oh, just I love that smell. In fact, when I was a little boy, I was weird. Not that I haven't changed, but okay, I was a little boy, I was weird. We would go camping. We had this little kind of like Christian-y, Christianized boy scouting thing called the Royal Rangers. We called the Royal Strangers. And we would go camping. Late at night, this is what I would do as a little boy, for real. I would take all my fresh, clean clothes, I'd lay them around a campfire. I'd go back to bed. So that way, I would get up in the morning, and get up before everyone would get up, I'd grab my clothes and put them back in my bag. And i just, oh, that smells good. Because I love the smell of campfires. I'm kind of bummed at where I live right now. I just have the grill, and I even put paper in it last night just to have some fire. Yeah, okay. But the the smell of a good campfire, I was like, oh. And I would go home, and I would hide my clothes because my mom would smell like, ew, wash these things. Days would go by and I'd pull out a shirt. If I knew like math class was coming out with a test, I'd be like, Oh, I need the shirt. I'd put the shirt on, I'd don it on, and we'd go to class, and I'd be like, Yeah. Teacher would be up there teaching and oh, Cody's got this math problem. Yeah. I love the smell. It just permeates. In fact, when I at my former job, I would go, get my guitar out, play guitar by the campfire. I could go home, jump in the shower, scrub down with every possible soap, sneak into bed, and Amber would be like, you're at a campfire. Why? Because you can't get rid of that smell, right? Some of you have maybe gone to a bar or a place where they smoke a lot. You go in there for 10 minutes, you come back, you almost have to like, oh man, smoke just permeates your skin. Please listen. As Christians, we are called to. We are urged to be in the Word. That's why we started with the Word. The more time you spend in His Word, the more time you soak in His Word, the more time you read John 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17, you soak upon the beauty of God. It's like you're before the presence of God's holiness. And His holiness clones your skin. It kind of permeates. The more you read this, the more you say, I want to live, be in His Word. The more you read this, you can put this water Walk away and people will smell it on you they will know that you've been in the presence of God because you've been in his word if you want to live a holy life we're back to the Bible again just every day soak yourself in the holiness of God in the presence of God weeding out all that junk saying God I need you completely and out of that you will walk away and people will smell it on you you go to the ocean the waves come crashing in that smell of that sea salt and stuff, it kind of like bathes your skin. It can cologne your skin. You can smell it on you. If you want to live a holy life, right here, people, plain and simple. Every finger, every fiber of your soul, searching and digging in the Word for your delight. And people will smell it on you. They will know spend time in the Word, and some of you with sin, living a whole life, you need to cut stuff out of your life. You need to burn it. You need to get rid of it. Pitch it. Why? Not just because of religion. Because of the cross. Listen to this verse again. Take a look at Romans 12. Verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, I plead with you, brothers and sisters, in view of the greatness of the cross, offer your bodies as a sacrifice. A living sacrifice. And a holy sacrifice. So here's my challenge to you. Where are you at with this? Some of you are like, "Oh, I've been a Christian, I've been a Christian my whole life. Are you living in a way where people are drawn to Him? Have you thought that your little kingdom, your world is all about you and you've been living? Oh, I go to my job, I have my family, I have my marriage, I have my place. Maybe you need to say, I'm done with that. Because of the cross, I will live in a way so others will see him. And some of you that struggle with sin, how many of you need to say, I surrender? I'm tired of doing it. I want to be a holy, holy man, holy woman of God. Let me pray.